Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. While applying to college is a stressful process, this year, applying for financial aid might be even worse. That's because the rollout of the new FAFSA financial aid form, used to calculate scholarships, grants, and loans, has been, in the words of one expert, quote, a confusing, glitchy disaster. We'll talk about how FAFSA is impacting colleges, students, and their families, and we'll hear from you. Have you applied for financial aid? How's it going? That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. A college education does not come cheap. In California, tuition for a UC hovers around $42,000 a year. And at a private university like Stanford, the bill can add up to over $81,000. This is why the majority of American families apply for financial aid. But this year, the rollout of FAFSA, an application for federal financial aid that many colleges use to calculate aid awards, has thrown a huge wrench into the process. Congress intended to make the process of filling out this form easier, but the rollout's been bumpy. The FAFSA was supposed to be available in October, but was delayed to December. And when it did come out, applicants faced a raft of technical problems, including not being able to submit the form at all. So we're talking this hour about how this happened and how it's impacting the already anxiety-inducing college application process. If you're applying for financial aid, we want to hear your stories. Send an email to forum at kqed.org or find us on our social media, X, Instagram, or Discord. We're all there at KQED Forum. Joining me this morning, I'm really pleased to be welcoming Anna Takahashi. She's the director of college counseling at Eastside College Preparatory School in East Palo Alto, California. Welcome to Forum, Anna. Hi, good morning, Grace. And we also have Eric Hoover, a senior writer for the Chronicle of Higher Education. Hi, Eric. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, oh, we're so happy to have you. Anna, I wanted to start with you to get our listeners oriented to the problem. Tell us, what is the FAFSA and what is it used for? Sure. Um, the FAFSA stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, and it is a form used by um, colleges and universities to determine a student's eligibility for federal financial aid. So that includes grants, work study, and federal student loans. Um, So as you pointed out earlier at the top, um, this is a really important uh, form that families need to fill out in order to see what their um, financial aid packages might look like and how much they might need to pay in order to attend college. And so this is what the colleges use to make those calculations and create those financial aid awards. 
Yeah, and a lot of other types of organizations use it for like a merit scholarship or other organizations that offer financial aid to students. So it it's a wide, widely used form. That's correct. Yes. So there are uh, a number of scholarship organizations that also use the FAFSA, <clears throat> excuse me, the FAFSA data in order to figure out um, which students they want to, um, you know, award their scholarships to. So that is another important component. Well, Eric Hoover, reporter for the Chronicle of Higher Education, you've been covering the story of the FAFSA rollout, um, and there's a lot to cover here. How is the new FAFSA supposed to be better than the old form? Well, that's a great question. For one thing, it's supposed to be, and it is, um, much uh, shorter, right? Uh, previously, the FAFSA open uh, would ask um, more than 100 questions, and now for many, uh, in many cases, families have to answer just a small fraction of that number. So fewer questions to answer um, um, supposedly will equal f- uh, fewer opportunities to make errors. And when you make errors, you know, even an honest mistake, it's easy to make on a very technical um, form that's asking about your finances, um, your family income and taxes. It's easy to make a mistake. Uh, the fewer questions, a streamlined form is supposed to make it easier. Um, and also another major component of the kinder, gentler, simpler FAFSA, at least that's um, how it was described, uh, you know, one key change allows families in many cases to um, move key information that's already collected by other federal agencies, including the Internal Revenue Service, to move that crucial financial data um, right into the FAFSA form. So that's also supposed to cut down on errors and ease the headache of completing this darn form. Yeah, it doesn't take much imagination to think that a form that was supposed to interface with the IRS and the Department of Education might run into some problems. Um, But the issues that we were seeing reported seem particularly bad. Tell us what has happened with the rollout of FAFSA. What are some of these technical issues that are confounding students and their families? Yeah, well, um, there's a there's a long and 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 ever growing list um, kept informally <laughs> by college counselors like like Anna um, about uh, just all kinds of technical snags, small and large, and some of them really have no explanation, and some of them are really um, big and and are affecting many families. For instance, right now, if you are a student and you're a U.S. citizen, but you happen to have two parents, um, or even just one parent um, who lacks a social security number. Um, right now, you cannot uh, complete and submit um, the FAFSA because your parents um, who don't have a social security number are unable to do that. And so you in that situation um, are stuck. Um, and there's a new workaround um, that may help some people. We're not sure. Um, but that is that is just a do not pass go situation for families Um um, in that in that circumstance. And in talking about those students who, who may have a parent or guardian who doesn't have a so- social security number, the student themselves are entitled to federal financial aid, right, Eric? That's, that's exactly right. They are 100% entitled to financial aid as U.S. citizens. It's just if, uh, through no fault of their own, they just so happen to have uh, a parent or two parents who are undocumented. Um, they are running into this snag. Well, Anna, another problem that um, has been reported is that the way the financial aid is being calculated or the need for financial aid didn't consider inflation. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So when um, so this was actually called the FAFSA Simplification Act uh, when it was first passed. And the implementation implementation has definitely been very rocky. Um, One of the 
one of the changes would be also in the formula in terms of calculating a student's eligibility for financial aid. Um, and there are supposed to be more students who are going to be Pell eligible, so eligible for grants for the lowest income students. Um, we found out earlier, actually last month, I think, um, or maybe at the end of December, that some of the calculations were using um, formulas from a few years ago. And obviously, inflation has definitely hit uh, many families, pretty much all of us, and especially in the Bay Area. And so the federal government had to kind of go back in in order to make those changes in order to uh, have the student aid index that that, you know, that key number, that key piece of information for the colleges be as accurate as possible to reflect today's um, financial circumstances for these families. Um, that has been rough to say the least, and this has actually meant that there's been a delay in colleges receiving um, completed FAFSAs. So they actually won't even have this information for their financial aid offices until next month, but until March, um, so that they can start you know, packaging um, students and their families. So there's just been delay after delay after delay in a process that's already feeling very um, crunched by time. Mm. Anna, the demographic of your school, Eastside Preparatory in East Palo Alto, it's composed of a lot of kids who are first-generation college students, meaning that, you know, their parents or guardians may not have attended college. So this is a first-time experience for the family. How are your students faring with this form? Has anyone been able to submit it? Oh my goodness, this has been, um, it's been a very challenging year. And for, um, as you mentioned, about 98% of our students are first generation college students. And so their families don't have a lot or any experience with any part of the college process. Uh, many of them already knew that this was going to be scary and stressful and uh, maybe a bit um, anxiety provoking for sure. But this is, I think, um, to the nth degree and something beyond what any of us could have anticipated. Um, yeah, there's. we have seen a handful of students who were able to successfully submit everything, and we are definitely way behind in terms of uh, the numbers of students who typically are able to submit, um, both because the FAFSA was late in um, being open and available to students, but also because many of our families are not able, many of the parent contributors are not able to um, go into the FAFSA. Uh, as Eric mentioned, there is a new workaround that was actually just announced, I think, on Tuesday um, to hopefully help some families um, who have a parent or parents uh, who don't have a Social Security number. But, you know, honestly, I took a look at the nine step process and I'm not I'm not sure how much easier it's going to be. Not to mention there's a big caveat at the end that this is not considered officially submitted, that students will still have to go back in on the back end in order to, um, you know, confirm all of this information and that the parents will still need to go ahead and and make things official as well. Eric, what's the consequence of not being able to submit this form? I mean, would it affect your ability to be admitted to a school or is it limited to financial aid? What what happens if the form doesn't get in on time? Yeah, it's a great question. If everything is working well, the FAFSA is uh, really this wonderful gateway that you can open to access federal grants, federal loans, work study. And for many, many families in this country, um, you have to pass through that gateway and get that aid that you're entitled to, um, to go on and uh, attend, um, whether it's a two-year college or a four-year college. It is what makes college possible for so many families. It's not just that completing the FAFSA 
for many families would be a good thing to do or a nice thing to have. For many, it is absolutely essential. Um, even if even if they still have a gap between all the aid that they're getting, including federal aid and what they actually have to pay um, to attend college, it's still very crucial. So if you're not able to complete the FAFSA, well, then it's not a gateway at all. It's uh, it's a barrier. It's a locked door. And what so many college counselors I've been speaking with over the last two months are worried about is, hey, how many of our low-income, first-generation applicants who aren't able to do this or able to do it in time, how many of them will just give up on college altogether or, at the very least, have their options kind of constrained by the fact that the FAFSA is not working well for them, um, at least in time, uh, to make their uh, decisions in the best, most thoughtful way possible. I mean, it certainly is troubling, and it doesn't seem like there's many workarounds. I mean, we have about a 30 seconds before the break, Eric. I understand there's a paper form of FAFSA. Is that a way to circumvent this problem? Um, there is a paper form. I think the problem is many people don't know about it or they don't know that they have that option. And certainly one drawback that's giving many families pause is um, the Education Department has announced that it will not process paper FAFSAs until it clears through what right now is a kind of gigantic backlog of online forms that have been <laughs> submitted. Oh, my gosh. It, it does just sound like a Gordian knot of uh, problems. Well, we're talking about the college financial aid process and how the bumpy rollout of the FAFSA is impacting students and colleges. We've been jo- we're joined by Anna Takahashi, who is the director of college counseling at Eastside College Preparatory School in East Palo Alto, and Eric Hoover, a senior writer for the Chronicle of Higher Education. We want to hear from you. Have you completed or tried to complete the FAFSA? What has your experience been like? Or are you a returning student applying for financial aid. Email us at forum at kqed.org or find us on social channels at KQED Forum or give us a call at 866-733-6786. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. We'll be right back after a short break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? you left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. This hour, we're talking about college financial aid and the process that has been affected by the new FAFSA. That's an application for federal financial aid that many colleges and universities use to disperse scholarships, loans, and work-study programs, as well as other kind of scholarship programs. We're joined by Anna Takahashi. She's the Director of College Counseling at Eastside College Preparatory School in East Palo Alto, and Eric Hoover, the Senior Writer for the Chronicle of higher education. 
We want to hear from you. How has this bumpy rollout affected your plans to get financial aid, to go to college? And are you a returning student applying for financial aid? And has your college told you about what your financial aid status might be like this year? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can send us an email at forum at kqed.org or find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. That's Twitter, Instagram, or our digital community on Discord. I want to bring in another voice here, and that's Sonia Jatani. She's the Associate Vice President of Financial Aid and Compliance at Cal State East Bay. Welcome to Forum, Sonia. Thank you for having me. Well, Sonia, you oversee financial aid for Cal State East, the Cal State East Bay campus. What have your concerns been with the rollout of this new FAFSA form? Oh, I have had many concerns with these rollouts. <laughs> you know, it's uh, not just having students successfully submit the FAFSA application. It's really preparing the college's institutions to be able to take in these FAFSAs. You know, we have this news coming out from the Fed saying that uh, we are not going to receive these FAFSAs until middle March, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, going to be a quick turnaround time for colleges to be able to provide students with their financial aid packages. Um, And that is scary. Uh, They will be sending these applications in batches um, and not necessarily all at once. And so, you know, these FAFSA applications, they have to go through different types of checks. They go through the IRS, they go through the Department of Homeland Security to verify students, uh, their citizenship and eligibility. And so it is going to be a slow rollout, even after uh, the mid-March timeframe that they've given us. Well, at the Cal Cal State um, campuses, are you rolling back any deadlines as a result of this problem? Yes, actually, uh, we are extending our deadline to June uh, of this year to allow students some time to be able to decide thoroughly on whether or not they can come to college. Uh, But, you know, this is just us. Uh, The CSU system, actually, all California State University systems has extended their deadline, but with applicants who are trying to figure out which college is best for them, if their deadlines at other colleges is earlier than this, then they really won't have the ability to to thoroughly decide on what is best for them later on. I mean, so that's like a college, uh, a college, uh, high school senior um, gets accepted to a variety of schools if they're lucky, and you know they're looking at different financial aid packages from one school to the next. And your point is that if people don't roll back the deadlines, then students might just be turning down um, acceptances to schools because they just don't know how much money they'll be getting. Correct, and this has a long-term. In- implication. It's not entering into college. It's really affordability for all the years that they will be there. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't have the necessary information that they need to determine whether they can afford this, then uh, this could be a very tough road for them in the next four years. Yeah. And as you point out, it's not just a problem impacting students applying to college. It's also impacting currently enrolled students. What are you hearing from students at the East Bay campus about their attempts to fill out this form and to ensure that their financial aid packages will continue for the next year? Yes, they they are very concerned. You know, we have uh, 
workshops that we hold at East Bay, as well as open office hours for students to come in and get some help to submit their FAFSA application. And they're, they're very concerned because uh, a lot of them are not able to do that. There are, uh, you know, uh, students who are even independent who aren't able to have their spouses submit uh, their portion of the FAFSA application. Um, they're not able to go in and edit any information because there's nothing to edit since the FAFSA is not processed yet. And so uh, there there are some uh, very big concerns, in particular for the underrepresented, for the students who whose parents have no social security number. Um, you know, they came out with a workaround a couple of days ago, but that does not provide an official uh, SAI or student aid index to universities who, who can then, you know, provide the financial aid packages that students need. They'll need to go in and edit it at some point in March to mm. be able to get that through. I mean, there's nothing more dreadful than filling out a form and then just seeing that submit button grayed out and just hitting it really hard. I mean, Anna, you were talking about this experience with some of your um, students and some of the advice on these listservs among counselors are like, maybe um, turn your computer off and try again. I mean, has that worked for people, Anna? Well, so that's the thing, right? It seems like every student, every family has a different experience going through the FAFSA platform. And so it's actually really hard to gauge, you know, what the issue might be. Um, could you change your browser and clear your cookies mm. and you know, all those kinds of things? Um, we've also had families who have been trying to call the help center and uh, there have been ridiculously long wait times. I mean, I've heard of a few folks who were waiting like two hours or so. And, you know, it's just not realistic to ask a family to to wait on hold for two hours in order to hopefully talk to someone who might be able to help them. Um, but I think it's this inconsistent experience, too, that makes it really challenging to figure out, OK, is this a broader FAFSA issue or is this like a student who accidentally mistyped something and, and that's the problem? And, you know, the fact that there's an entire website of by the federal government, you know, that lists the known issues, I mean, I think is indicative of, of the fact that there's just a lot of, uh, yeah, of problems that we're still waiting to see. March is supposed to be this magical month when there's hopefully a lot of fixes coming down the pike, and, and I really hope that happens. Well, Roger writes, any software engineer would say the new FAFSA has been inadequately designed and tested. Who or what is responsible? Eric Hoover, you've gotten into the weeds on this one. I mean, what's the answer to that question? Yeah. Um, well, Roger, Roger uh, asked a good, a good question there as to you. Um, it's complicated. And I think, uh, look, um, no one wants to shed a tear right now for the federal government um, because this rollout has been uh, incredibly rocky. Uh, but to be fair, um, I think it's worth noting what the um, what senior uh, officials at the Education Department have said repeatedly over the last few weeks, which is this is a massive undertaking. It's not just the redesign of the online version of a crucial form. Uh, it has been an overhaul of the A process itself. And also, this has required um, the government to update what um, I'm told are, have been really ancient kind of information systems, the sort of technological guts of the FAFSA that make the form run. Um, and it's also worth noting that um, though Congress uh, ordered the Department of Ed to overhaul the FAFSA back in 2020. It did not provide additional funds to help the Education Department do exactly that. And so I think um, we're going to hear a lot more about this in the months to come, but I think that that is a key piece of context, um, that uh, they were given a tall order um, to complete a massive undertaking, um, and apparently were not giving 
uh, given the level of funding um, to make this happen and perhaps make it happen um, more smoothly than everything we've seen so far. Well, I wanted to bring in Jake Brimner. He's the Deputy Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the California Student Aid Commission. Welcome to Forum, Jake. Good morning, Grace. Thanks for having me on. Well, and the California Student Aid Commission is a state agency that disperses over, I think, $3 billion in financial aid to California students. Do you rely on the FAFSA? And how is this rollout impacting your organization? That's right, Grace. Uh, We here in California, we should be really proud. We do disperse over $3 billion each year to more than 400,000 students across the state who are uh, enrolled in college or uh, a four-year institution. And we, uh, as our campus partners do, we rely on the data that's generated by FAFSA in order to determine which programs our students might qualify for. Uh, We do have another application that we administer, the California DREAM Act application, that also allows us to consider whether students who may not qualify for federal aid, if they might qualify for state financial aid. But really, as uh, Eric said earlier, these two applications, these are the gateways to all of the forms of financial aid, not just loans, but all the grant aid that's available for students um, that can help make college affordable and and create um, that opportunity for them to make that decision to enroll. So if a, a student can't submit their FAFSA, does that mean they won't be able to get any aid from the CSAC or the California Student Aid Commission? We do need uh, our students to submit these financial aid applications for us to be able to consider them. And we, as our campus partners do, we do have some upcoming deadlines that we want to make sure our students and families are aware of. If they're first-time filers and they haven't received financial aid before, and they're pursuing enrollment at a four-year institution, they need to get those applications in by April 2nd, um, which is coming up quickly. And as Anna said, March is this month that we're hinging a lot of um, improvements upon in order for all students to be able to apply. So particularly this issue of our students whose parent uh, may not have a social security number and how they can complete an application, that's really been our topmost concern this year as we try to make sure that all students who want to have uh, information about the financial support available uh, can get that uh, offer letter back from their campus in time to make uh, an informed decision before these enrollment deadlines start coming up in May. Well, let's go to the phones. We have Elena from San Rafael um, joining us. Elena, thanks for calling Forum. Hi, yeah, I work for um, an organization called 10,000 Degrees, and we've been helping our students um, submit FAFSA. And how's it going, Elena? Um, I mean, there's definitely issues. I, our students have been experiencing lots of problems, you know, we, but we really were aware of the, um, the delay far ahead of time and started to kind of put measures in place to really prepare our students and get them, like, you know, get their paperwork ready and let them know about the delay. And we planned workshops for them to submit FAFSA. Um, So we've really just been there trying to help our students who are mostly first-gen and, you know, low-income get the applications in. And do you, have your students successfully submitted the FAFSA, Elena? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're, able to do it. Um, but I think it's just, it's been tough. You know, I think it would be challenging for anyone um, trying to, um, you know, trying to submit this application, um, you know, but you're talking about students who may have, 
you know, language barriers who, um, you know, may be, un, you know, undocumented first in their family trying to go to college. And so, you know, you're getting a glitch or something's going down, it's even tougher. So um, they really needed support. And that's where our teams have really been leaning in. Well, it seems like an amazing organization. And thanks for calling us, Elena, to share your experience with this form. Yeah, thank you. Um, We also have a listener on Discord who writes, I'm a mother of two living with my husband's single income. I decided to go back to school this year to become a nurse. While community college costs much less than a state or UC, every dollar matters since we are stretched thin due to inflation and the cost of living in the Bay Area. When filling out the FAFSA form this year, they wanted our 2022 income, but that was when our family had two incomes. It's frustrating because it won't take into account that we are on a single income now. Um, Eric, is that some things that is that a common problem that people are facing that they had income in one year and now when things were better and um, things are different today? Yeah, um, that's. That's a great question, and it's certainly one that many, uh, it's very similar to one many families uh, have been asking, right? And so uh, part of what's going on there uh, relates to um, a change that was made uh, to the FAFSA some time ago, um, uh, meant, again, meant to simplify the process um, that in, in some cases can end up complicating it. And that is that um, when you go to fill out the form, you're using your income financial data from the prior prior year, uh, which is the term in the, in the field. Um, uh, uh, but, but of course, many families, and especially true these days, their circumstances have changed uh, on paper and also in reality since um, since two um, years ago. And so, yeah, that's another headache. Um, that's something that the form can't necessarily um, simplify for you. And then you are going to have to um, uh, seek um, out conversations with um, the colleges um, you are applying to or, or, or already enrolled at um, to deal with that very situation. Sonia, you're at Cal State East Bay as a financial aid officer and compliance officer. You've also worked at other types of institutions, private colleges and universities as well. If a person gets a financial aid index from FAFSA that doesn't seem to take into account personal situations like this listener, do you recommend um, appealing to the financial aid office directly? And how often is that successful? Absolutely. Uh, financial aid administrators are authorized to recalculate your FAFSA application according to your current income situation. It does take a while for us to be able to process this uh, because uh, the feds require you know, documentation to verify your current income, current um, uh, housing, st- all of, uh, you know, family contribution status. Uh, it is very possible, and it's something that I would definitely recommend uh, students and families uh, to do, to reach out to their financial aid office. Now, given that we don't have those FAFSAs yet, we won't have it until, you know, March, potentially, uh, it will need to wait. And it may be that they would need to make the decision prior to uh, us or the financial aid offices being able to provide the new financial aid package. You know, uh, we can advise students and their families according to what we think that they may receive having gone uh, after going through the the appeal process. Uh, But it's going to take some time. Mm. And 
Um, Jake, in terms of getting money through the California Student Aid Commission, I mean, if that FAFSA index seems wrong to the family, can they appeal to CSAC to to possibly get a different um, sort of ruling on the aid that they're receiving? Yes, we do work with our campus partners. So folks like Sonia and her team and her colleagues, uh, they work with that student to update their uh, information. That goes to the Student Aid Commission. And that makes sure that not only are they being considered for any extra federal aid that they might qualify for when there's been a change in their financial or, or family circumstances, it also makes sure that they're going to be considered for any state aid that they'll qualify for with that new, newly updated information. And particularly in a case like this, we do have additional financial aid that's available for students with dependent children uh, who are under 18. So uh, part of the uh, the work we all have to do is to make sure that in the coming months, we work with our students to make these corrections and these updates to their forms that right now, um, due to some of the technical glitches, they're not able to make. Mm. Well, I really recommend that people go to your website because um, as a California resident, I was really encouraged to see how much money is available. I mean, obviously, you have to apply for it and you need to qualify for need. But there's just you don't have to you can be a middle class student as well and receive aid through CSAC. Right, Jake? Yes, that's that's exactly right, Grace. Um, We in California, we uh, put over $3 billion into these programs. And it's not just uh, through our Cal Grant program, uh, which is our our largest program. It covers full tuition and fees at our four-year institutions, uh, our public institutions for families that qualify. Families can have, in some cases, an income over 150K and still qualify for this Cal Grant. There's also another program that we administer called the Middle Class Scholarship. And that provides additional support to students who are at one of our UC or CSU campuses. And the income limit there can go up to 200K, actually. Good to know. Well, we're talking about college financial aid and how the bumpy rollout of the FAFSA is impacting students and colleges. We're joined by Jake Bribner, the Deputy Director of Policy and Public Affairs at the California Student Aid Commission. Sonia Jatani, she's the Associate Vice President of Financial Aid and Compliance at Cal State East Bay. Eric Hoover, a reporter with the Chronicle of Higher Education. And Anna Takahashi, a Director of College Counseling. We want to hear from you about your attempts to get financial aid. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. 
we're talking about applying for financial aid to go to college. The cost of tuition is ever rising, and 85% of American families do seek some form of financial aid to send their kids through the university system. We're joined by a panel of experts, including Eric Hoover, a senior writer for the Chronicle of Higher Education, Jake Brimner, Deputy Director of Public Policy, uh, Policy and Public Affairs at the California Student Aid Commission, Sonia Jatani, Associate Vice President of Financial Aid and Compliance at Cal State East Bay, and Anna Takahashi, the Director of College Counseling at Eastside College Preparatory School in East Palo Alto. We're hearing from you about your experiences with financial aid and trying to get um, applications in, as well as awards for yourself or your students. You can email us at forum at kqed.org if you have a story to share, or find us on our social channels at KQED Forum, or give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Carol writes, um, can you address the reason why the new FAFSA does not consider having more than one child in college at the same time anymore as one factor to include when assessing financial aid to families? I think it is a huge blow to families with low income to allow students to continue college education. So this is is something that's not in the current FAFSA, Eric. Why not? Yeah, that's a good question. I might lean on Sonia here, who knows would would probably provide a better answer. But um, yeah, uh, this this is a this is a major change. Previously, if you had another um, child in college or another family member in college, um, your EFC, that is your expected family contribution, um, would be um, would be reduced, and this would expand your potential eligibility for um, student uh, aid. Um, you know, I think big picture, uh, this change reflects the, f- the the fact, at least in part, that um, under the new FAFSA, under the new aid um, calculations, um, you know, more students who are eligible for uh, federal Pell Grants, um, uh, a greater number of students will be eligible, and that in general, they'll be eligible for a greater amount of aid than before. I mean, that's a trade-off um, of sorts that um, will, will affect families who are more or less middle um, income. Um, and that's definitely causing many concerns uh, from families I've spoken with. Uh, Sonia, what about you? Is the fact that the FAFSA is not considering having multiple kids in college at the same time something that you're addressing? Um, y- yes, and not really, because really we're we're at the mercy of the Department of Ed on what we can and cannot do at the Financial Aid Office. From what I understand, you know, uh, the SAI does incorporate uh, the number of dependents that you ha- that you claimed on your taxes. And so part of, uh, you know, the FAFSA simplification idea is to simplify the process. And what uh, what I am guessing, I'm just assuming, is that they incorporated all of this into their calculation is uh you know, Jean-Lin uh, said, there is an expansion in Pell eligibility. Uh, at the CSU level alone, we are going to be expecting about uh, around 10,000 more students who will be receiving the Pell Grant. And so I think this is just an attempt by the, the feds to, to simplify the process and did not really, you know, consider the fact that there are families who will have double the expenses. Now, they did allow universities to be able to take that into consideration as part of the appeal process that I was uh, uh, recently uh, discussing. Um, And so if uh, 
you know, uh, there are families out there who have more than one student going to college. They can potentially reach out to their financial aid offices and let them know that they would like to be reconsidered, perhaps if possible, uh, because they are going to be spending more. Well, caller Amnesia from Santa Clara is on the line. Um, Amnesia, welcome to Forum. What is your story? Yeah, my story is my daughter's applying to grad school, and she, she, her and I went together, sit down together to go through the FAFSA application. And the whole video, we did the video training, which does not match with the process that they show you to go through. So they said, oh, you, it's going to ask you for your bank information. It's going to ask you to have consent to access your 2022 tax information. Well, we did not see any of that, and the form were actually submitted. Now she's freaking out about Am I going to get anything if they don't have the information? So that's that's a uh, that's very anxious. We're all very anxious right now about it. Um, and have you tried to reach out to a helpline, Amnesia, or how have you kind of addressed yeah, that? Yeah, I guess yes. Yeah, she was she was trying to get to the helpline and she was not able to get through anybody. So I, what I'm hearing so far in the show is that contact the college, the <laughs> uh, financial aid office, and see how they can how do we, how can she submit the additional financial information at this point. I guess we, we don't know. That's a really good question. Um, Anna, what is your advice to someone like this? Oh, this is always really hard because some it's hard to know at what point the, the student or the family got stuck and what parts have been submitted or not submitted. Um, there's also a lot of different language that sometimes appears. Sometimes it says under review or in progress. And um, I think it might be helpful to talk to someone in a financial aid office. Now, recognizing, though, they haven't received any information either, right? They they won't be able to um, actually see if the student has submitted those documents um, or the FAFSA until the middle of March when hopefully they will first get access to it. Um, I totally understand that calling the helpline or trying the live chat can be very frustrating just because there hasn't been um you know, it's just not staffed, I think, to the extent that it needs to be. Uh, for some of my students, they were actually able to log back into their FAFSA just to see like, well, what actually happened? Um, so that could help. Um, but unfortunately, otherwise, I think we are just kind of waiting to to see what happens in this magical month of March. And then I think um, you might have better luck reaching out to the, the college directly. Um, than the federal helpline, unfortunately. Well, thank you for calling, Amnesia, and uh, congratulations on having a daughter who's going to grad school. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, you know, the idea of college is it is in and of itself coming under a value proposition set, set of scrutinies. I mean, a 2022 LA Times poll of Californians found that while 77% of residents think a four-year degree is still valuable, 60% think that the UC system is too is largely or completely unaffordable, and 55% of those Californians think the same CSU system is still too expensive. I mean, Jake, what's the value proposition of going to college when most people think it costs too much? It, that's such an important question, Grace. And we're thinking about that a lot at the Student Aid Commission because we realize the return on investment question is really in two parts. What do you think you get on the back end of completing your college education, earning that degree or getting a, a certification? What does that do to change your, your earning potential, your career outcomes, what your life can look like? And of course, what's the investment on the front end? <laughs> what support is available to help reduce those costs that we know are so top of mind for students um, over the past several years with tuition increases, 
we know that that sticker price can be really um, alarming for students. So on that front end piece of the question, the complexity of financial aid, and this is in part what, what drives the FAFSA simplification effort, really makes it hard for students to understand all the aid that is there, not just as loans, which we hear so much about, but as grants, funds that you don't have to pay back. Uh, more than half of our students at UC or CSU actually don't pay tuition because through the combination of state, federal, and campus-based aid, tuition's getting covered. So getting that message out is really important. And then, of course, we know from all the data, so much research, that a college education, a degree, or a short-term certification really does change the kind of job opportunities that students can pursue immediately after graduation, but over the course of the rest of their lives, too. So uh, we're really just trying to make sure that we can get that information out there, that we're contributing to that by making financial aid as digestible as it can be. And so you don't actually need an advanced master's degree to understand it before you ever apply for your first uh, round of financial aid. That's a good point. Um, We've got Melanie from San Francisco on the line. Melanie, welcome to Forum. Yeah, hi. I was. Um, bottom line, I was just going to advocate for if the financial aid that you don't get comes in to go directly to the university of your dream to talk to them. Um, for me, um, I grew up on a small family farm. I knew my parents couldn't afford the college of my dream. And so I actually went and made an appointment with the financial aid office and it transformed my life. Oh. Um, ended up they, they had their own funds to be able to dip into. And so um, I ended up getting half my tuition to a private university in this case paid for. But I think it was because I sat down with them and, and we're able to bring the context to the table of we, ha- I had four you know siblings, so it was going to be a struggle and there's no way I could have gone to that university otherwise. Oh, that's a good story. I mean, for you, financial aid was mission critical. Absolutely. It changed the total trajectory of my life, Um, trajectory. And there's just, and yeah, there's no way. There's just no way Mm -hmm. um, that my parents could have have done that. And one of the things I brought up with the financial aid officer was, why do you look at, I was 17 at the time, right? So that's the context. Why would you look at my parents' financial taxes when I'm the one who's going to be paying for my education? (laughs) I mean, and it's an early... That was, my not, that was my brain back then, right? Which yeah. I was paying for my own education. Um, but at least I put context on it, being from a, you know my background, my family background, and what was going to financially fall on me, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an early, early um, stage of advocacy for yourself. So congratulations on doing <laughs> that. <laughs> and thanks and for I calling. It might not work for everybody, but... Um, I really believe that there are pockets that the universities have, and maybe this is more of a private university thing than, than otherwise. I don't know. But um, again, I still remember his name, Benjamin Sandler, Washington University. And I am forever grateful I've reached out to thank him because, again, he changed my life. Well, nice shout out to Benjamin, and thanks for calling, Melanie. I mean, Sonia, we we have a minute before we're going to cut away from pledge. Is it worth going to the financial aid office um, if you don't get the aid that you need? That truly melts my heart. Yes, it is definitely worth coming to the financial aid office. We have a lot of resources that we would love to share with you if you are struggling and figuring out 
out how to pay for college. Uh, we definitely partner with the California Student Aid Commission, as well as uh, private donors and our own university system to get as much money for these students as possible. So please do reach out to us. We'll be happy to help. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. I wanted to talk about, and we mentioned this briefly, about whether this process of applying for financial aid is putting a chill on people actually wanting to go to college or trying to go to college. And Anna, as somebody who is in the counseling business, and I'm sure you talk to a lot of other college counselors across the state and the country, what are you hearing about how this process is impacting students' desire to go to college? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question, um, Grace. And that is a huge concern that I think um, many of my colleagues, um, both on the high school and uh, college side, are worried about how this is going to impact our incoming students this year. Um, are we going to see students who just quite honestly give up on the process um, or didn't realize that they didn't finish the process or just felt that college was too expensive or that they didn't know what other options that they had. Um, as, as others have pointed out, we're really fortunate in California that we have so many great programs to support students, but you know, that, that FAFSA is you know a, a major tool that's used by so many folks, um, colleges, scholarships. And, and yeah, I am very worried about how many of our students and families are just going to, you know, not not show up on their college campuses this fall because um, this process just became really cumbersome, burdensome, and and really difficult to navigate. So, yeah, remains to be seen. Mm. A listener has a pretty specific question. She writes, or they write, my son applied for FAFSA but got little or no help. We think it might be due to him not registering for selective service. He has since registered. He didn't want to get drafted, so he didn't register. But in the letter, it says, if you don't register, you may be denied aid. I mean, Eric, I'm going to bring this to you. Uh, Is that the case? I understand that there was a change with the FAFSA Simplification Act that took away the selective service requirement. But tell me what you know about that. Um, I'm going to have to pun here to Sonia because I'm not sure, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Sonia or Anna, does anybody know about the selective service component? Sure. Uh, they uh, the, the feds did require um, the selective service registration for um, for applicants. Uh, they would not allow students who are not registered uh, for selective service to receive financial aid up until, I believe, a year or so ago where they uh, completely removed that from the FAFSA application altogether. Um, However, uh, the FAFSA application would not have allowed the student to receive any aid, any federal aid. So that this, uh, uh, you know, commenter said that they received little aid. Sounds like uh, that it might have been an income issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or Yeah, maybe it's little or no help with the actual filing of the application, I'm not sure. But definitely research that because it does seem that the Simplification Act of 2020 took away that selective service requirement. Another listener writes, I'm a third-year transfer student at a CSU. One of the biggest errors with FAFSA is that they do not show how it works before you complete it. Also, the largest problem with the financial aid system is that there's no transparency at the university level, so you don't know why you didn't get the grants. How about all of the admin organizations involved gather the complaints of students and then work to resolve 
resolve them. I mean, Sonia, I'll take that question to you. I mean, for students who feel like there's no transparency about the um, award that they're getting, what can they do? Again, definitely reach out to the financial aid office. We def- we try very hard to, you know, make it as transparent as possible. But we also have to think about, you know, the capacity that universities have when it comes to providing all of this necessary information to students. There are laws, disclosure laws, uh, that we have to provide uh to students when it comes to this financial aid. But yes, I completely agree. There needs to be a lot more communication and it it would help if the Department of Ed would give us um, a little bit more of a hand when it comes to this at the student level. Uh, Eric, we've talked a lot about how difficult the form is, how hard it is to get information. But, you know, in the last minute that we have, what can a uh, an applicant do at this point? What's your best advice in terms of trying to get help with this form? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're lucky, you have someone like Anna on your side, a college (laughs) counselor who knows the FAFSA inside out and all the attendant challenges that go with it. If you don't, um, it's it's harder. Um, I know that I've talked to many families who don't have that college counselor help. They have they have crowdsourced with people in their communities. Um, Reach out to don't be shy to other families they might know in their neighborhood or in their school system. Um, I'm not usually one to recommend going on Reddit for much, um, but I know that some families have sworn by some of the tips. Um, and workarounds um, that have worked for them in some cases, based on what they read on on Reddit of um, you know of all places, um, there there there's a lot of information out there. Not all of it's helpful, um, but you never know who might be able to help or who might have devised a workaround that is stumping you right mm-hmm. now. Well, listen to the crowd and listeners. I'll tell you that the KQED digital team has also compiled a FAFSA 101 guide that offers helpful FAQs about the financial aid process. Uh, just go to the KQED website and search FAFSA. It's helpful. I want to thank all our guests and our listeners and our callers today. We've been joined by Anna Takahashi, the director of college counseling at Eastside College Prep School in East Palo Alto, Eric Hoover, a senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education, Jake Brimner, Deputy Director of Policy and Public Affairs at the California Student Aid Commission, and Sonia Jatani, Associate Vice President of Financial Aid and Compliance at Cal State East Bay. Thanks to all of you for joining us. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another Hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? 
It left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.